as promised, I have my first guest of August, and that is Nick Zararis. And Nick, how are you doing? It's very appropriate that I, the, uh, one of the other very vocal Swifties on hockey Twitter is here for the first guest of August. So I'm very happy to be here. Um, very good. I went to the gym. I'm writing something about the football giants because football's on the horizon, setting up stuff for next week for the pod. But other than that, I'm happy to be here. How's you, you know, your August going summer? Has, is it magical? We started. It's been fine other than the heat. I mean, I'm somebody who sweats easily, so the summer is my least favorite season by far. So it's been rough. But other than the weather, I'm having a good summer. Went on a trip, started the new podcast. So we're doing some fun stuff. Yeah. You know, it's a lot more fun when it's not 8 million degrees out and you can actually enjoy the nice weather. But why don't we talk some hockey to cool us down? Your Rangers made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> Can we just take a minute and talk about the unexpected and just what was that like as you watched it unfold? Um, It was very much, uh, is this really happening? <laughs> like, I, like, I went to Game 7 against Pittsburgh, and when the overtime started, I was like, okay, if we lose in overtime – we deserve to lose it over time. We probably shouldn't even be in a game seven against Pittsburgh. They won that series. And then I was like, they're not going to beat Carolina. Carolina owned them in the regular season and they beat Carolina. And if Jacob Truba doesn't take three tripping penalties in game three against Tampa, they very well could have beaten Tampa too. So uh, the way I've been trying to describe it is they, they, they were a decent team who got hot at the right time and they had luck go their way. And that's an integral part of any team making a run in any sport. Mm-hmm. You need to get the bounces to go your way. And I don't think you could have drawn it up. I mean, if you ran the season a thousand times last year, they get that far maybe 50 times out of a thousand. Uh, it, that's just the way hockey works. It's weird. Yeah. No, when I was watching it unfold, I was very, I remember messaging you earlier like it was probably February and I was like I hope the Rangers make the playoffs like it would be so fun like they're such a cool team and you were like yeah like they'll probably slide in whatever and then they made it further than the Bruins and the Flames I was like this is this is cool it's nice to kind of have like that underdog team yeah like that dark horse go for it um who were some of your standout players through the whole it doesn't, I guess, yeah, the whole postseason. I mean, the most obvious one that I think a lot of people are going to acknowledge that kind of made the leap right in front of everybody was Kay Andre Miller playing on that second pair with Truba. That really kind of solidified the Rangers' top four because that third pair of Braden Schneider and Justin Braun was only playing 11, 12 minutes a night. So the bulk of the ice time went to those top four D. And then the kid line, they were the one group, uh, Alexi Lafreniere, Filipino, and Capocaco. That was the one line the Rangers had that was consistent all playoffs. Well, other lines like the Panarin line, the Zabinijad line, they both put up their points, their counting stats, but the style the kid line was playing was replicable. It was easy to repeat over and over again because they would just get the puck in deep, they would work the cycle, and eventually somebody would get open and there'd be a play to make there. Whereas the other two lines, the top two lines for the Rangers, a little bit more of the high risk, high reward style where they're going to funnel the puck towards the net hoping for a redirection, hoping for somebody to be in front of the net. And it's not as easy to do that as it is to just keep cycling the puck repeatedly over and over again. Yeah, definitely. And that, I just, the kid line was really so fun to watch. And I hope that 
you know, this upcoming season, we get to see more of that. And it'll be something that, I don't know, I think sets the Rangers apart and will be able to kind of be a thing for years to come. Uh, but at some point, they're going to grow up and they're not going to be the kid line anymore, which is, I mean, they'll always be the kid line. But Igor Shesterkin. Yeah. There, you don't need to say anything else. You don't need to say anything else. That's all every, everybody knows. What? Where did that come from? Um, He stayed healthy. That was the biggest <laughs> thing. I mean, his first year in New York where he only made about 9, 10 starts, he got injured. He was in that car accident, which was really scary. And then last year, he had a groin injury where he missed three to four weeks. And he was just never really able to get into a groove. I mean, last year, people forget that at the start of the 56-game season, David Quinn was splitting the starts between Georgiev and Shesterkin 50-50 to start the season that first month. So it took a little while for him to get going. And this year, uh, everything kind of aligned for him. They play, they changed the style of play a little bit where he's going to have to have a lot more responsibility, where he's going to have to make a lot more saves. But the idea being they're going to be low danger chances, that they're going to be coming from the perimeter, coming from the point. He's going to have a clear line of sight on them. His job will be... While he might have to do a little bit more work, the quality of chance he faces won't be as difficult. That's not actually what happens. That is how the Rangers drew it up. He was just, he was miraculous this year. There's no other way to describe it. You you just don't have a 934 save percentage in the NHL. I mean, the last goalie to clear 930 was Carey Price when he won MVP and Vesna. And then before that, it was Brian Elliott in a tandem in St. Louis where he it was 930-something, and he only made 30-something starts that year. So very, very much a statistical outlier. And it, it's one of the reasons why I'm kind of bracing myself for next year not being as smooth. It's just you can't expect the guy to be that good again. I mean, that's one of the best goalie seasons ever. Like, it, right. since we started tracking goalie stats, that's one of the best seasons ever. And unless he's going to be the best goalie of all time, you can't expect that to be the standard going forward. Who do you think is the best goalie of all time? And you can't, you can't say Hank. Uh, I wouldn't have said Hank anyway. Uh, when people ask me, I usually default to Ken Dryden. Ken Dryden from the 70s, from the Montreal Dynasty years. Uh, he was so good at hockey, he got bored of hockey and just went to be a lawyer. Like, that's how good he was at hockey. Uh, one of the best books. He, he wrote one of the best books of all time, the, ga- the best hockey books of all time, The Game, a memoir about his time on those Dynasty Canadians teams. Him or Hashik. I'd, I'd listen. Are you... I'm not going to get into the Marty Brodeur thing because that was. I was going to ask you what you think of that because that has been a discussion on the interwebs this week, and people are not happy. Um, he's goalie's like goalie is a product of your environment. The easier your environment it is, the more the easier it is for you to be good at your job. Marty Brodeur definitely one of the five ten best goalies ever, no question in my mind. Changed the way the position is played. The NHL changed the rules for the entire sport because of the way he played the position. So mm-hmm. definitely in the discussion, but this is just one of those some things that's so subjective where yeah. it really comes down to what you prioritize, what you value. I personally, I prefer the playoffs, the playoff stats. It's why I'll die on the hill that I'll take Hank before pretty much anybody because mm-hmm. the playoff stats speak for themselves. Uh, but yeah, you could argue Ken Dryden. You could order ha- argue Dominic Hasek. You could argue Patrick Waugh. So a lot of people argue already Brodor. There, there isn't a right answer, I, I think, is the conclusion I usually come to when it comes to things like this. That is very fair. Very fair. Coming up next, we are going to talk more about the Rangers. And 
some RFA, not drama, but the Flames and Rangers had some signings to do. And uh, we'll get into that and why arbitration maybe isn't the best route to take. But first, let's talk about Bet Online. As always, please remember to gamble responsibly. There's plenty of resources out there for you. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs and your favorite sports and the number one events at your online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news for every league, including MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, golf, and even esports. There's plenty to bet on out there. BetOnline continues to be the top line, top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting to podcasts and news. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening. BetOnline, where the game starts. I will never bet again because the one time I bet, the Bruins lost. Never bet on your own team. No. Rule of thumb, never bet on your own team. I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of the emotional hedge where I will bet against my team so that way either I win money or my team wins. That's I'm a big fair. proponent of the emotional hedge. I might try betting on football, maybe, because I don't care about football as much yeah. as I care about yeah. other sports. But Capo Caco. Yeah. He... Just he was an RFA, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. No arbitration rights because this is his first contract expiration. He's only three years okay. old. No arbitration. Okay. So Andrew Mangiapane was in like that second stage, and he yes um, had elected to go to arbitration, but they avoided it because last night they inked a three-year, five-point-eight million dollar extension. Does that term seem weird to you? Just three okay. years. Okay, I, I'm going to look up how old he is because He's that 26. is how I will. Okay, so yeah, that'll take him to unrestricted free agency right before he hits 30. He'll get one big contract as an unrestricted free agent, whether it's the Flames who give him that extra eighth year to entice him to stay, or he goes to unrestricted free agency and gets seven. That That's the ideal. You'd usually like your guy to be a little bit younger, but his development was a little slow, so yeah. he didn't really break out at the NHL level till his mid-20s, whereas most forwards, usually by 23, 24, you're kind of established at that point what you're going to be. So yeah, this is the flame saying we want you to be a part of the group we have right now because we think we're pretty close. And if you want to stay down the road, we can revisit that in three years. And it gives him the opportunity to get to unrestricted free agency, get that one life altering contract and then figure out where you go from there. Yeah. That's actually a really good point because I, I was looking at the term and I was thinking, you know, in my head, you know, most RFAs are 24, 25 when they get that weird, like the bridge deal. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The bridge deal. And so I was like, he's only going to be like 27. No, he turns 27 in April. So you're right. He does have that, that bridge and he can, he can see, and I can't even talk. They put a lot on the table for Gaudreau. Yes. They put a lot on the table for Kachuk. And I think it's fair to say that they will more than likely put a lot on the table for Mangiapane if he is able to even score 25, north of 25 goals for the next three years. 
Yeah, no, definitely. He's the t ideal top six wing you have where you can plug and play him anywhere. Mm -hmm. He's responsible at both ends of the ice. He's got great transition numbers. And he's uh, he's the kind of guy that every contender has where you can play him anywhere in the lineup. He can contribute on your power play. He can kill penalties. He's defensive responsibly. So if you want to put him as part of a check, a shutdown checking line, he can do that too. Ideal versatility. I mean, him, Blake Coleman, those are the exact same type of guy where they have enough high-end offensive skill mm -hmm. where they can pot 20 to 30 goals depending on the year. And they play the kind of game that NHL people really like. They want guys who are the 200-foot responsible guys. So definitely, I mean, if he gets to 29 and he records somewhere in the ballpark at 25 goals a year he's going to ask for eight years from the flames probably north of seven seven and a half million per and that's fair market value i mean i was reading today i don't know if you got a chance to look at it yet uh dom lestution of the athletic did no. his cut he he did uh, an evaluation of every single contract in the NHL and the value, and he already graded out the Manjapani Bridge deal as a good contract for the Flames ba based on the three years. So I that, trust that's, Tom. So that's, yeah, yeah. Not I... every not every statistical model is you know even Dom will acknowledge himself that there are holes that it accounts a little bit too heavily for recent performance as opposed to over, overall performance. But anybody who watched Manjapani last year, I mean, you saw a player come come out of their shell and really kind of establish themselves as I am a high end player. I am not just a utility piece. Yeah, and he just he gave a quote today that said, you know, I was really scared. I was timid to start my career and I didn't know what I was going to do or what I was going to be but now I feel like I I've found my footing and yeah. that's just I love him so much he's so he's just such a good player good guy um how what did things look like with Capo Caco um it was a little weird. I mean, everybody knows he got healthy scratched for the last playoff game where they got eliminated, which was a little bit weird. Um, the Rangers took care of all their other housekeeping first. This is what they do whenever they have restricted free agents. They usually take care of the unrestricted guys when free agency first opens. They'll take care of their own guys who are close to unrestricted free agency first. They'll fill in holes. And then the, the Rangers don't go to arbitration. The last player to get to arbitration – was in like 2011 it was i think nikolai zerdev something like that i think it's it's been a long time the rangers are very good about taking care of their guys where they've even had cases where similar to manjapani they've gotten to the arbitration process but they were able to hand, hammer out an extension during the course of the arbitration process to avoid that awkwardness that comes from going to arbitration yeah i don't know i was talking about it on the national show earlier today in last week even and I was like it's gonna be so awkward to go as a player and say yeah. hey like these are my strengths and this is why I'm worth this and then basically your employer says no yeah you suck at this like I would just I, I would feel some type of way because it's not like an evaluation you know yeah. like yearly retail jobs at the start of the year you get sat down and you hope you get that 25 cent raise and no, they're literally dogging on you in front of this neutral arbitrator. And like, no, that's so awkward. 
It's a it's a weird process. It's one of those things that could be ironed out if the NHL was a little bit more um, forward thinking financially. There was more of an emphasis on getting the best situation possible for everybody involved as opposed to what it is now where it's the 32 owners fighting over the money as opposed to worrying about growing the money. It's really it's what sets the NHL apart. Especially when you look at like the NFL and the NBA, where those two leagues are constant looking at ways to grow the overall amount of revenue as opposed to fighting over the existing revenue. Yeah, it's just and it's so, so far behind other yeah. sports and other leagues. And I, I don't know, I, I hope like this next wave, like our generation heading into the sport and the front offices kind of change that because i'm very tired of seeing this sport be what it is hey there anytime you want to rag on gary bettman and donald fair and the people in charge of hockey I, I, a very easy thing to do uh the biggest thing you could say is the nhl is too dependent on uh, ticket sales as the portions of revenue it's why the players are still paying off escrow from the year that they canceled the end of the season and did the bubble playoffs and then the 56 game season they're still paying off that debt it's why the salary cap is flat right now even though the revenue is north of i think five and a half billion when i talked with when we did an episode on my show i think two weeks ago where we talked about um how the salary cap's calculated you just divide the revenue by 32 and that's how they come up with the number and that's not the number because the nhl drew in upwards of i think five and a half billion and the salary cap is reflected of like three and a half, four billion dollars worth of revenue. So, yeah, the NHL has got to figure out that problem. And it, it's in part because the players union just isn't a strong enough union. They don't fight for any meaningful progress. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's a real problem. I mean, they're going through the process of replacing Donald Fair, who's the, yeah. the over the I forget what his title is, chairman of the NHLPA, whatever you want to call him. And that's a serious issue. I mean. The NHL avoided a lockout last time around, which very miraculous, especially considering hockey's history. But yeah, need more forward thinking. It's it's not just about right now, how much money can I steal, expunge from my team? It's how do we get more money for everybody involved? Because that should be your goal if you're trying to build a healthy sport. It's why you have certain teams that are just non-competitive a lot of the time, where there are 10 teams every single year coming into the year with no expectation of anything. And that's not good for anybody. No, and that's... I just, I don't understand how you can, like, set the ticket prices for what they are. They're not cheap. And then expect, like, the players to just kind of, to pick up that slack. Yeah, no, it's a dumb formula. I mean, the Players Association should have never agreed to the escrow stipulation. I I understand the 50-50 split in revenue. That's conventionally what it is. Certain sports, it's a little bit different. Other ones, it's a little bit more owner-heavy or player-heavy, etc. But it's not a great deal for them because they're going to lose money at least another year of of escrow being really a lot of a, a decent chunk of their salary because i mean they had to cancel a lot of games and you know playoff tickets are more expensive than regular season tickets yeah. so canceling an entire postseason for all of those teams involved where ticket sales that's a lot of money that needed to be made up and in theory we should be back to a relatively stable salary cap situation as soon as next year but more than likely 2024 is when you'll actually see like a five to ten million dollar salary cap increase which would be nice because then yes. I think that, that that's going to just be so crazy because 
you know, you see like defensemen now, like some of them making like 10, 11 million dollars. And you're just like, that's going to be the new normal. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's the good thing for them. That's that would be a good like I said, it's good for everybody involved. If there's more money to go around, that means the players can make more money. It means the owners make more money. I mean, the the last batch of crazy defenseman extensions, I mean, Fox, McCarr, McAvoy, Roman Yossi, all in that nine million dollar ish range. And if two years from now, the salary cap is ninety four million dollars, that's only, you know, 10 percent of the salary cap as opposed to the 15 percent it is right now. Yeah, I, I think that's just a really – I'm looking forward to it, obviously, yeah. because, you know, you're paying players more, but there's just so much more room for not just paying the league minimum to some of these bottom six guys that yeah. are on their way to the KHL. But <laughs> how should we wrap up the show? Should we wrap up the show with uh, Flames fans maybe not hitting the panic button? Yeah. All right. I don't. Okay. Yeah, you go first because okay. you have Eastern Conference Finals right on your fingertips. Okay. Uh, you did all right. I, I, I obviously you would like to keep Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. Those are two of the twenty best players in the entire sport. Ideally, you would like to keep them. The Flames made every effort to keep them, to give them long term extensions, to keep them here, to make to keep the band back together, to run it back what they did last year. They were a very good team last year. All things considered, you didn't make out terrible when you think about some of these superstar trades and what teams got for them. I mean. The Sabres got a first-round pick, Peyton Krebs and Alex Tuck for Jack Eichel. Um, Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger are both a lot better than that. You think about what Montreal got for Nick, uh, Max Pacioretty, where they got Nick Suzuki and some draft picks. A lot better. He did a lot better than that. Jonathan Huberdeau is a top 20 to 30 player in the entire sport. Mackenzie Weger is a top 15 to 20 defenseman, and you make your defense a little bit more well-rounded. You can have an absolutely lights-out pair of Tanev and um, Weger, which gives you a lot more versatility in your top four. You can lean on them a little bit more heavily. You had Rasmus Anderson break out last year, which was really good for them. I mean, when you look at the Flames on paper, yes, they're not as good as they were last year, but not by that much. This is still a pretty good roster. I mean, you're going to run Huberto out there with Elias Lindholm, that should be, you know, Lindholm should touch 30 goals again. Huberto should be able to sniff 100 points. That That's not bad. And you got Uyghur, who's an, uh, who's got potential to keep getting better, and you're going to use him in a specific role that's going to make your team overall better. So, yes, you would like to keep the high-end players, obviously. There are not a lot of those types of guys around, but they're still going to be right there. I mean, the Pacific isn't a great division, which go, put feather in the cap for the Flames. I don't think the Oilers got better. I mean, yeah, they got a goalie, but we got to see what Jack Campbell actually looks like playing there. Vegas, you assume will be better, but again, they're going to be very dependent on four or five guys to do a bulk of the lifting. All it takes is one injury to overthrow that. And then nobody else in that division is all that concerning. I mean, maybe, maybe you could talk me into Seattle being really good defensively and the goalie bounce back. But other than that, Flames are a playoff team. You got a really good goalie who can get hot at the right time. That That's really – those are the foundations. If you can get in and you got a good goalie, that's two-thirds of the process. Then you just got to be get hot at the right time. Those are the three things you need to be good to have a chance of winning the Stanley Cup. You got to have the goalie. You got to have – 
you got to have a couple of different guys lean on them and then see what happens. You just got to get in. That's the hardest part. Once you're in, anything can happen and you got the goalie. That's two thirds of it. Do you think if they don't win the Pacific division, it will be an overreaction from fans, but they still make the playoffs. Uh, I don't think it really matters. It's not like baseball where you get a buy or football where you get a buy in the first round. You still got to play. I mean, the Flames were really good last year, and they got taken to the brink by Dallas in the first round. Uh, there are no easy playoff series. There no. just aren't any easy playoff series. Even teams, even like, like, for example, Edmonton beating the Flames, that wasn't an easy series. It was only five games, but that really could have been a six or seven game series yeah. right there. It is really hard to get an easy playoff series. You know, and even the LA Kings yeah. took Edmonton to seven games. So, you know, I think as long as you go out there and like you said, you use the formula and just stay healthy please yeah. please no more sprained spines or whatever we had going on there um no more 63 starts for jacob markstrom i'm, I'm yes. sorry that's just disgusting um i just thank you for being the voice of reason here because normally it's just me screaming into my computer by myself and i worry about what my neighbors think so Thank you for joining me today. I greatly appreciate it. Um, where can fans find you? I know that you do a little bit of everything. Yes, yes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Zararis, Nick Z-A-R-A-R-I-S. Um, Liberty Blue Pod is the Ranger-specific podcast every week. Monday this week it might come out on Sunday because I'm going on vacation next week so it comes out once a week usually gonna get the other podcast go the upper bowl GM podcast going again now that football's here and baseball's kind of reaching that stretch run took a lot of work to get the uh, uh, Liberty Blue Pod off the ground so gonna get back to that I write for Gotham Sports Network I write about everything under the sun I'm writing about the Giants right now I, what did I write about last week? Um, I wrote about the Mets last week. But yeah, I, I, I am a jack of all trades in the sports media world. I do video stuff. I do. I write. I shit post like everybody. Uh, yeah, I, I I wear a lot of hats. I, I like to keep the people entertained. Uh, thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, this is always fun. of course. Thank you for kicking off August with us. Um, I will have this uploaded today. Oh, wow. You know, it's actually really funny. What? 16 no 15 years ago today i saw taylor swift for the first time wow i'm old God yeah damn. that yeah was- okay that's wow perfect look at that um so <laughs> thanks for kicking off taylor swift month with me here on locked on flames and uh yeah like i said earlier you guys this will be a guest heavy month to get us through until camp starts thanks for joining <laughs>